What's up, everybody? This is episode 118 of the Clappercast. I'm Burke, and as always, joined by my friend Sean. Sean, how's it going? I'm getting riled up on my end here. I've been jotting down <laughs> some notes to uh, go into a fun rant session for, for the first bit. <laughs> Feverishly <laughs> writing notes. Yeah. I can just feel myself getting, like, uh, uh, angry. <laughs> <laughs> Gloves are coming Fired off. Fired up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, what's what's the fever about... <laughs> Well, it's about the Oilers again. I, I <laughs> ranted about them for a while last week, ranted about Dave Tippett's, and uh, after we recorded that, actually, um, Derek Ryan gave this really interesting interview. So he never specifically called out Dave Tippett, but he did take a bunch of subtle shots at the way that the bench was run during Tippett's time. So there was a lot of knocks at things like the bottom six guys need a chance to prove themselves too, and it's hard to sit them for so long during games, and they finally get a shift and they're cold and can't do anything, and you can't rely on two players because those two guys are going to get tired referring to McDavid and Dreisaitl playing 25-plus minutes a night. They're not going to be able to sustain that. And all, like, all of that stuff, all the criticism that Derek Ryan laid out makes sense. We saw it. You know, the Oilers' depth scoring has been terrible for years, and the bottom six never gets anything going. And, well, it kind of makes sense that they're not going to be able to do anything when they get, you know, two shifts a period. When, you know, they, they don't rotate through the, sh- through the lines very well because McDavid and Dreisaitl go out every other shift. And they end up staying out there for two minutes per, per shift. And it, it ends up sort of mirroring a lot of the concerns that we had, or at least I had during Tippett's time. Like, McDavid and Dreisaitl playing 23-plus minutes per game usually, that's actually gone down a bit, generally speaking, in I think the seven, seven games of Woodcroft's time. So far, it's McDavid was closer to 20 or 21 minutes, and Dreisaitl was around 22 minutes. So it's usually one or both of them out every other shift in the past, but now it's a better rotation through. And the Oilers currently, the last you know handful of games, they've been running 11 forward, 7 D. So they've been doing a lot more uh, rotation with the lineups and with the lines, which ends up you know spreading out that ice time a little bit better between players, and there's only a couple of forwards, like the 10, 11 guys, getting less than 10 minutes a night. Everyone else is over 10. And then, you know, the other thing, Tippett would do is every single time there is like the first sign of adversity oh someone had you know one line had a bad shift and they get hemmed in the zone for a bit it's like better throw everything in the blender and put McDavid and Dreisaitl back together and then they end up playing for minute 30 or two minute long shifts and it it's frustrating because you see them out there for so long and then you see Dreisaitl trying to skate back on the back check and he can barely move yeah he's too tired exactly and then people are like oh he's so lazy it's like no he's just fucking gassed yeah he's been out there for a minute 45 and he's not exactly like the fastest most nimble skater to begin with (laughs) yeah yeah and yeah like immediately under jay woodcroft we've seen the oilers rolling mcdavid drysidle and nugent hopkins separately pretty much the entire time with the exception of in tampa bay's game it near the end of the game he stacked mcdavid and drysidle on on one line again yeah, but they were down, like, what was it, like 5-3 or something like that? Fine. Yeah, they were down, like, 4-2 or 4-3 at the time. Yeah, so, so it's like you got to, at the end of the game, that's, that That's the sense. time, yeah. Um, you know, that's the time. You're, you know, last shift of the period, five seconds in the offensive zone, toss them out there. You know, last three minutes of the game, you're down a goal, toss them out there. Don't yeah. do it in the middle of the period because, like, you had a bad shift and want to get something going. Like, that's not the time to start messing around with it. Yeah, I mean, like, if you think about, like, playoff teams that are successful, right, it's like, those bottom six guys like shine in playoffs. It's like it's not always like your big guns that get the timely goals. I mean, like thinking about the Capitals, it's like 
Devonte Smith Pelly had like some absolutely monster goals yeah. for the team, and it's like he must have, he probably had like ten goals all year. Yeah, and then Lars Ellers. Like, yeah, it's the same cup, thing. Like cup third line center goal. Um, and then yeah, it's just like you know you need your guys to play and get into a rhythm yep. and be yep. loose out there and not cold and you know in the game so that when they get the puck they're not like uh, <laughs> like yeah, panicky exactly. with it right so they've got their game feed on they've got the mind going like they're not just sitting on the bench cold and they go out there and suddenly they're five steps behind yeah yeah it was uh, an interesting little segment with with Derek Ryan um there was a lot of people like in the comments saying like oh man this guy's probably going to be a future coach just the way like he's talking about the game and it's mm-hmm. like well, maybe i mean he has like a, he seems like he have a good mind of the game but he was like well spoken and yeah. yeah so i had never yeah, really like, like heard was, him in an interview so it was interesting to see him a very yeah very articulate way. and it's nice to see that type of uh that type of veteran presence in the oilers bottom six because yeah. you know one of the players who has benefited the most from this different um you know running of the bench with jay woodcroft is Derek ryan you know him nugent hopkins and warren fogel have been the oilers third line for the better part of the last seven games and they've been great They've been putting up, you know, way more points. Fogel and Ryan have been way closer to point-per-game players. They've got four or five points in those seven games. That's as good as they've been all season. So, like, that takes a lot of pressure off, and it's great to see, you know, that type of depth scoring when everybody is contributing. And that's kind of what we were looking for, ultimately. And sure enough, as soon as you give the guys chances and let them stay, because, you know, Edmonton, Edmonton in the past, like, the rosters have had no chemistry. They just like plug and pick and plug random free agents and trade acquisitions, give them like a period together when they don't work out and then go back to the same old crap that wasn't working before. It's just yeah. constantly in the blender, constantly moving around and there's no chemistry. There's no consistency in the lines. You're never going to build, build chemistry with constant shuffling. Yeah. It's like even in beer league, like you notice when you have different line mates or different D partners or something like this, it's noticeable even like at a low skill game. Like it's just, People play differently. They're in different spots. You're used to someone being somewhere or going a certain way. And then when you switch lines and they, they don't do that, they zig when you think they're going to zag. And, you know, it leads to turnovers and, you know, like misplays and sloppy play. So having a bit of consistency and trusting the guys to, you know, just one bad shift doesn't mean, like, they're going to be bad all game. So I don't know. It's a fine line as a coach, right? Like, when do you split guys up? Like, when do you trust them to turn it around and it's i mean there's a reason that coaches get fired so much it's like it's such a skill set to know when to do that and like you see like you know barry trotz like in the in his time in washington it was like you know he was criticized for not making those adjustments on the fly like not putting in not trusting young players and like but eventually like you know they they broke through and like, did he adjust his coaching style? Yes, but it took a while to get there. So it's like, do you just, I don't know. It's just so crazy to think like what might've been if they, they kept the co- any team might've kept the coach and just got different guys in and maybe they do better under that coaching style. Um, it's just interesting to kind of watch in real time, you know, like Woodcroft coming in and almost an instant change, but exactly. I mean, that's, that's kind of typical, right? Having that, that kind of immediate change of, I don't know, like direction in the team. And it's, Fortune, yeah. It's interesting. It's, it'll be interesting to see if they keep going in that direction if after like, you know, 10 games or so. But 
Yeah, it's uh, kind of like that 10 game point is when, you know, those first 10 games is when they say like that, you know, after those 10 games is when you can start really seeing the effect of the new coach because like that immediate, um, you know, kick in the ass that the coaching change gives the players kind of wears off and then you start seeing the actual systems and all that. So, you know, Edmonton starts off with a five game win streak and then they lose two games the next two games. One of them was a blowout against Minnesota, but that was their fifth game in seven days. So it's like, I wasn't, that's not too much of a concern. And I mean, yeah. Tampa was a bit rough because they found themselves down by a very large margin early and the defense was weak. The line blender started up again, but those last two games, Minnesota and Tampa, like you really, really started to see the issue of the goaltending for the Oilers. Like the yeah. biggest issue in those two games was Mike Smith. Like again, yeah. letting in early goals, barely making any saves. He's let in eight goals on his last 29 shots against. Oof. Like that is disgusting. <laughs> what is that like 600 <laughs> or something? Yeah, <laughs> and it's like they're not even good goals. It's it's like bad positioning. It's poor rebounds. It's letting random shots squeak through places they shouldn't. And like that one I sent you, where he's like down on his knees against the post when Stamkos is out at like the circle or something. Like yeah, he, it's he like shouldn't that be down VH there. position or whatever. Um, yeah, where he's got one pad like horizontal and one vertical, leaning against the post, and he's like cheating, and then it goes over his shoulder, and it's like yeah. oh my god. It's yeah. like that wasn't that wasn't where you should be positioned in that shot when the puck was where it was. Yeah, um, I just want to give a quick shout out to the Flames. They're on a ten game win streak. That's crazy. I don't know if that's like a franchise record or anything, but just you said like the ten game mark, and I was like, oh yeah, Flames, ten games. <laughs> I'd hate to interject them into the Oilers talk here. Yeah, you you just have to like interrupt <laughs> me complaining about the Oilers with Flames. Hey, the Flames are doing really good right now. Yeah, I gotta rub it in a little bit. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, the, the the silver lining for for you as a fan in the same division is that they're really not that far ahead. No. Like, it's like seven points. Um, so it's like the the Pacific is pretty tight. Um, it could it could swap around quite a bit until the end of this season, but oh, totally. yeah, There's I just wanted to recognize recognize them and and you know Tyler Toffoli scoring in like his first game there and like. Yeah, they're just they're just rolling. Um, so, just wanted to you know recognize that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean I like it. Mike Smith. It's like I, I don't know. It's like is is Koskinen hurt right now? No, no. They're just rolling Smith. Why don't I don't don't understand why they don't just play Skinner? I guess like it might be like cap reasons or something. But cap reasons, and I mean you've got two two go two guys with bigger contracts, like two NHL goalies versus the guy who's still technically know the tweener yeah i don't agree with it like skinner is the best goalie the oilers have had this season he should be in the nhl but i think we kind of have to wait for for them to trade one of the existing goalies out or wait until the off season and they can get rid of both of them but yeah. it's like that's that's just the key issue right now and do you, re- do you remember last off season when there are so many goalies available and the oilers had like 25 million in cap space and then ken holland went and spent it all on random shit and re-signed mike smith instead Yes, I it's do. Like he could have gone after Gru- he could have gone after Grubauer. He could have gone after Ulmark, Nedeljkovic, Anderson, Holtby. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, we'll just we'll stick with Mike Somebody. Smith again. Yeah, it's and, um, it's interesting to kind of see like how other teams are kind of in a similar position, um, with goaltending. Um, like Dallas comes to mind with like Jake Ottinger as like a young guy that the team's like, all right, well you're the starter, like you're the best yeah. goalie, so exactly. you're the guy. He took over. Um, and then. Um, like 
the the blues as well, right? Like with the Huso. It's like, okay, well, you're the guy. Like we don't care. Like you're giving our team the best chance to win day in day out. So, mm-hmm. like you're you're the guy. Yeah. Um, whereas the Oilers are like, you know what, Mike Smith, you're not the guy, but we'll still play you every game. And it's like, what, what? Y- you like, know, he was the guy <laughs> last year, yes, I- but not this year. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I really just want someone to believe in me the way the Oilers believe in Mike Smith. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know where that like confidence is coming from. It's like clearly he's uh, not as well, like good a, as you think he is, and I just see it as like old boys mentality. It's like, oh, he's a, he's a veteran. He's gonna get the shot again and again and again, even though he keeps fucking it up. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Hey, I mean, like, bring up the Flames again, but remember, like, when the flames signed markstrom you were very excited that the oilers didn't sign him yeah <laughs> do you still feel the same way about that like revisiting it like yes maybe in a few years that contract will be very bad but like right now like he's sensational now that i see what ken holland went and spent the exact same amount of money on yeah because it's like i didn't think the oilers could afford that but then he goes and spends five million on duncan keith yeah, like, and who would you rather have, Dark- like, Duncan Keith or <laughs> yeah. Markstrom? I think it's like, pretty easy. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if Markstrom would have been the goalie he is in Edmonton compared to what he is in Calgary. Like, different team, different system, different players. Yeah. But it's like I see what the, the utilization of cap space between the two teams, and it's like, well, you could have had Markstrom. Yeah, like... You know, you, for, for a little bit more than Duncan Keith. Mm-hmm. Instead of re-signing... Duncan Keith, Tyson Berry, and Cody Cece. <laughs> yeah, like all defensive liabilities. <laughs> he could have brought in a guy who makes up for that and then just played like Bouchard. And yeah, anyway, yeah. it's just, I just wanted to different, different off seasons, ask of you about the cap that because I wasn't was, there. But I was thinking about that like earlier in the week. Just yeah. like, oh yeah, I remember like you were like actually happy that he didn't get signed. And then it's like, well, I wonder. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. different, different off seasons, of course. Like I think Markstrom was the off season before last, right? Uh, yes, he played with the yeah. Flames last year. So yeah, so different off season, different cap space, but the the concept still remains of like there was this much cap space, and then it was spent on <laughs> on no. this instead. Yeah, I mean yeah. hindsight's always twenty twenty, but it's like of course I I'm a huge Markstrom fan, and it's like I absolutely love him. So I was like, oh, I would have liked to see him be on like your favorite team because then we would have like, oh, that's the guy. But <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So I mean. Goaltending is always like, uh, you know, a huge issue in the NHL. Obviously, like if you have one of those de facto number one guys, like it makes such a big difference. And you see yeah. a lot of teams kind of flip flopping throughout the year, running tandems, and um, some guys just ride one guy, like you know, Calgary does with Markstrom and Penguins yeah, do with Jari. Mean, yeah, you see, you see a lot more teams lately that have been doing like a one A one B type thing. Where it's like you've got a 50-30 or closer to a 40-40 split versus like 10, 10, 15 years ago when you saw the best goalies are all playing 65, 70 games. Yeah. You don't really see a whole lot of that anymore. Yeah, like I think it was uh, Holtby maybe five years ago or something like that broke that Broder record for like the most starts in a season or something like that. And And then what? Wasn't that the year he was tired in the playoffs and kind of sucked? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, uh... Yeah, he looked like he kind of bounced back a bit this season, but he definitely got eclipsed by Ottinger. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, like like a, a team that um, is kind of, you know, not really in contention for a playoff spot, but is uh, looking for, you know, maybe some wins along the way, and that 
like Ottawa Senators, and you know they're kind of having a little bit of a goalie. I don't know if it's not really a controversy, but it's like they're seeing kind of like, you know, somebody else kind of take the the reins a bit, and that's Anton Forsberg. And if you look at like their overall stats between Forsberg and and Murray, um, Murray actually has like better overall numbers, but I think the consistency has just been so up and down with with Matt mm-hmm. Murray. I mean, he went to the AHL, was very upset about it, and came back and had a bit of a bounce back and then got hurt. And then Forsberg's been playing and he's been playing really well. I think he's won three of the last five. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, he's, he's, and against like some pretty good teams too. Like, um, like against Minnesota, he had like 43 saves, Um, you know, just absolutely kept Ottawa in that game. Um, And then, you know, got the win against a really good Minnesota team. You know, he lost in overtime to Boston. Again, another really good team. And I think they didn't. They might not have had Marchand or Bergeron in that game, which is obviously a huge, you know, decrease in the scoring potential of Boston. But, you know, kept them in the game. Won against Buffalo. Um, had a shutout. Or no, sorry. Wait. Yeah. No, okay, never mind. Um, and then against Washington, did very well. Sorry. Um, which is impressive considering the firepower on Washington. Um, so, I mean, like he's just been kind of like, s- looks like he's kind of stealing the job and it's another one of those like, you know, under a million dollar goalies. <laughs> that's like yeah. taking the reins and, you know, it's, it's impressive to see, you know, a guy who's kind of bounced around the league, um, you know, a little bit um, kind of proving that, he he can be a pretty good goalie. Totally. Um, so I mean, like the, the the issue in Ottawa is obviously always just the consistency and the defensive lapses and everything. So I think it's just he's just a guy to kind of keep an eye on to see if he um, completely steals that job and just what happens with Matt Murray because, like, see, I was even thinking that Anton Forsberg would be the type of goalie that Edmonton should try and target. Yeah, like, like that's that's a whole thing. Is Edmonton needs to trade for a goalie? That's kind of like the main barrier to them being like a very good team. Is if they had like league average goaltending, they'd be so much higher up in the standings. The tricky part is now, now they're in a position where they have to pay a premium for that goalie instead of just using the cap space they used to have to sign one. So it's like Holland's going to have to give up a decent prospect and a draft pick, and he also doesn't have cap space, so it's going to have to be, like he's, like Ken Holland himself says, a money-in, money-out deal. So it's like Anton Forsberg being a cheap option would be an easier one to have a money-in, money-out because you can use, you know, you, you can more easily trade assets to match the money because, you know, you don't have to give up, like, $5 million of, of players to, to bring in the next goalie. Yeah. Yeah, he's on a cheap deal, and it expires after the season. Um, you know, it could be could be a guy that you bring in, but again, like they've got Skinner, so like, that was my other thought. Is like, it see like, do they see Skinner as the next guy? You know, because they also have uh, Kanovalov or I can't remember, yeah, Ilya Kanovalov or something in the uh, minors as well, who's been doing very well. So it's like they seem to have a couple of decent prospects, but they didn't really do anything to tie them over in the meantime, and then they don't really want to give, you know, the the one guy much of a chance to break into the NHL yet. Yeah. So it's like, ugh. 
you know, do, yeah. do you go and you know you don't want to go in and have him trade a whole bunch of stuff to get a goalie that's going to be signed for a couple more seasons who's like an actual starter and then you just push your other prospect goalies farther down the depth chart for for longer yeah it's tough which is why maybe bringing in like Forsberg who's only on one year contract might make a bit more sense because it doesn't interrupt like your long-term plans but Exactly. Yeah, I don't know. It's like a lot of teams are going to probably will be wanting some goalies, especially with like some of the injuries that are out there, like Robin Leonard's hurt right now. Um, there's, I think there's some other bigger name goalies that are, that are kind of hurt. So, um, you know, that, that well, depth I mean, is Columbus is huge. missing Elvis and Elvis and Corpus Allo. Yeah. They did play like John Francois Barube or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean like not that the Canucks are really in the race, but like remember they had to play like, some like fourth strings guys and stuff so uh yeah montreal doing the same yeah so you know i i just think that forsberg is kind of making himself trade bait right now yeah. um but i think he's probably the more uh, desirable asset between him and murray anyways yeah i mean like that no trade clause 6.25 million dollar deal for yeah. matt murray no one really wants that right now unless no. it's like 50 percent retained yeah yeah yeah, so I mean, I, I, don't, I don't just um, Anton Forsberg. Like, I've I've been watching Ottawa games. Like, I've always had a bit of a soft spot for Ottawa. Now that they've got some exciting players, they're actually a bit more fun to watch. Um, although they're kind of like, you know, like they're a little bit like Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. Like the games that you watch, like sometimes they're really competitive and in the game, and other times they just get ship kicked. So you kind of it's almost like like a fifty fifty <laughs> when you yeah. watch um it's like don't don't commit the entire night to the game but at least yeah, try the first exactly. like 10 minutes <laughs> yeah like if they're going they're going but if they're not it's it's pretty tough um yeah. but yeah like uh, it's just been I'm watching the games like he's been making some really good saves so kudos to him um and then you know i don't know if there's any relation here but another forsberg was kind of making the news um which is kind of kind of weird but um Solid this segue. Was, this was, yeah, thanks. Uh, this was <laughs> in the news a lot last year, I remember, too. Um, but Philip Forsberg is apparently being actively shopped by the Nashville Predators, which yeah. is strange because they're in a wildcard spot right now and it looks like they're they're probably going to stay there. Yeah, they um, look competitive. Yeah, and he's a huge part of the team. So, um, Which, it, it's like, it was also weird because that I saw another update from, like, Forsberg's side that it's, like, apparently apparently his camp was like wanting to start extension discussions right away hmm. they were they were like they had no idea this was happening and they were gonna want to be like yeah let's start talking the next contract right away yeah so i wonder so... i wonder if like the you know the the leak of him being actively shopped is fully true or if that's kind of being exaggerated a bit and like the predators are taking calls or calling around just doing like due diligence but not actively like trading him trying to trade him yeah i mean hopefully for his sake they don't just like sign and trade him um that, yeah but i mean he's got 44 points in 38 games this season 26 goals like there's gonna be a lot of interest if that's true um i kind of joked to you like oh i hope the capitals bring him back like <laughs> how, how good would he look um you know with some of the injuries that the capitals have had <laughs> depends where martin erat's at <laughs> <laughs> yeah bring him out of retirement um but yeah i mean like he's an absolutely great player so that would be a huge name to be dealt at the deadline or before the deadline if that if that happens. Um, and I know, like, 
obviously probably things have changed, but he was very upset when they traded Arvidsson to the Kings. So maybe that's where like some of the like break in the relationship happened or something, but who knows? But um, I just think that a lot of teams would love to have him on their team. And, you know, he's, he, his contract is ending this year. So it's possible maybe he gets traded and then comes back to Nashville um, as a UFA. Um, that would be kind of neat to see. Um, but yeah. I think wherever he goes, like they're, they're probably going to make it, make a strong push to keep him too. This is just like, this is just a weird, a weird one to me. Cause I'm trying to think about the situation of the trade and like where he would go, what teams, like what return he would get, what teams would go after him. And I'm, I'm struggling to really come up with anything. Cause like Nashville's going to have trouble trading him to a contender because those teams aren't really going to want to give up their NHL-ready, like, star players in return to, like, match the value. They're going to want to give prospects and picks, which, like, Nashville being in a playoff spot, are they really just going to, like, sacrifice, you know, say, like, screw it to this play- to this year and just start rebuilding now? But then, you know, you look at, so you look at teams that are kind of maybe on the cusp who are like, oh, we can bring in, like, this star player, you know, sign him this year, and then we get like a, a push for our our rebuild to you know take a turn in the next season. Team like Anaheim or Los Angeles or Detroit. Yeah, but the tricky uh, part is that none of those teams really have the type of player Nashville would want to make the deal. Like they don't have good enough scoring forwards. So I kind of look. I ultimately kind of look at like Nashville needing a right, uh, a better right D. So then you look at like Forsberg for Klingberg or something. That'd be you interesting. Know, Predators could use the right D. Dallas could use the scoring. It's not the trade I personally like, but it kind of fits like team needs. And I don't really know where the value, how the value matches up between those two players. Obviously, Dallas would have to give up a bit more, probably like you know a midline winger at least. But um, something like that would just be. It's just such a hard one to try and pinpoint where the value would be and like how to gauge a return. Yeah, I think that's tough. Like I think there's a lot of teams that. <clears throat> would want him but yeah like you said like i don't know if they'd want to give up what nashville would probably want for him like a team that kind of comes to mind for me is like boston but i don't know if they've got the cap space or any sort of assets that nashville would want and i don't know if they really want to leverage their future any more than they probably already have yeah Um, boston doesn't have a whole lot in their prospect pool they've got like three decent prospects yeah i think like there might be a team that's willing to overpay. Like, I mean, just think about Washington. Like, maybe they just, like, go all in, you know, while Ovechkin's, like, you know, hot. Um, yeah. And then I just... mean, we talked about that at the beginning of the season. Like, you know, Washington's doing so well this year. Do they try and make a push for one last deep playoff run just while they have the core together and performing well? Yeah, and, you know, one thing that... um is, is kind of worrying me a little bit um, with Washington is the fact that I think that they might be pulling a Tampa Bay with their cap situation um, because, you know, I think TJ Oshie came back to play today. Yes. Um, so he's, he's come off the IR, but um, they've still got like Anthony Mantha on IR and, um, like there's absolutely no news of like him coming back. I think and the then, latest was like a couple of weeks ago when he started skating. Yeah, so it's like 
he had sh- shoulder surgery, I think. It's kind of funny, both him and Verena, who got traded for each other, both had so- shoulder <laughs> surgery. Um, and, yeah, so it's like, you know, <laughs> he might come back, like, just in time for playoffs, and then, you know, they might have made some trades and be, like, over the cap when he comes back. So I'm kind of nervous about that because I don't really want to win doing the same thing. But it's not technically against the rules, but I could see it happening for sure. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, I don't know, maybe – I don't know. I mean, like, are there any other teams that would really have a need for him? I'm sure there's lots of teams that would want him. But I mean, Calgary just got their scoring winger, so they wouldn't need another one. How about, like, Colorado, Minnesota? Because why not? Yeah. Well, that's an interesting thought, you Minnesota. trade it to your in-division yeah. rival? <laughs> I mean, if they're going to trade like their best scoring forward, are they really worried about the playoff run? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. But, but the <laughs> thing with Minnesota, the interesting one is that like this is kind of Minnesota's window is this season because they lose so much cap space with the Suter and Parisi buyouts starting next year for a couple of years that they're not really going to be able to spend a whole lot. So that yeah. would be an absolute rental, and like Minnesota kind of has to go all in right now when they can. That's true. Yeah, I remember discussing that kind of when they, they did those buyouts. It's like it really... Mm-hmm significant part of their cap so it's like 13 um, million or something for a couple of years yeah it's 12.7 next year and then the next two after that are 14.7 oh god it's even worse so than that. yeah that's uh that's pretty significant and it was so weird like they didn't have that much longer left on their deals so no there's no reason to i mean parisi was kind of falling out of favor with the team he got healthy scratched a couple of times but Suter was like still solid yeah yeah he's looked pretty good in dallas i think but yeah i mean um that would be an interesting one um you know kevin fiala's there um got a bit of a connection um from from nashville um that could be an interesting trade but again i don't know if they'd like to trade in division but who knows um maybe it's a three-way deal and it ends up going to (laughs) rival anyway um but yeah i don't um interesting person to keep an eye on because this is now the second season in a row where there's these rumors that you know he's going to get moved and he's such a great player it would be huge if to see him get moved yeah yeah such a uh impactful player that you know he'd go he go somewhere else and immediately make you know their offense that much better that much more deep like mm-hmm. it would be it would be crazy um to see him like go to well to see Nashville trade him like, I don't see this as being... I don't ultimately see Nashville as trading him. I don't think it's the right move for that team at this current moment. But at the same time, like, maybe they just kind of say, screw it, let's rebuild and... <laughs> yeah, let's get a little bit younger and... Yeah. Try and win. I mean, he's only 27, so... It, yeah. Anyway, it's a it, weird kind of news because they're in a playoff spot. But stranger things have happened, I guess. Um... And then I think there's one more team that you want to talk about that also has a few more trade rumors, um, but they've kind of turned it around a little bit, but there's yeah. probably no hope of them going anywhere in playoffs. Well, the, Min- the Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> Minnesota. The Montreal Canadiens. <laughs> yeah, close enough. Uh, the Montreal Canadiens. They've, uh, they're currently on a four-game win streak, their longest of the season. They've won more games in the last four games than they did in like the 25 <laughs> games prior or something. <laughs> Jeez. But um, 
you know, it was interesting just to see them finally kind of have a little bit of success with that roster. And I think they're finally starting to get some players back in the lineup from injury. I think they're finally starting to get some chemistry and players are starting to turn things around a little bit. Most notably Cole Caulfield, who has six goals and 10 points in the last eight games since he got back from injury or whatever he was dealing with compared to one goal and eight points in the previous 29 games. Yeah, like that's a, that's that's. You know, the six goals and 10 points is more what we expected of Caulfield. More kind of, you know, everyone was predicting him to be the Calder winner. And then that this this level of production is more what we thought he would be at versus kind of the invisible level that it was before. So it's like, is this maybe a turnaround for the Habs? Because I saw someone point out that, oh, St. Louis was last in the league in January, made a coaching change, and then won the Cup. <laughs> Does Montreal uh... turn things around and win the Cup? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess, again, stranger things have happened, but I don't think <laughs> so. <laughs> I haven't looked recently, but they're probably mathematically eliminated already. <laughs> probably. Yeah, it's... Um, they're, they're only 30 points out of a playoff spot. It's totally doable. <laughs> only. Yeah, what a fall from being in the finals. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's... It's nice to see, but I mean, overall, still not a great year, you know, um, for for Caulfield or really anybody on that team. Um, you know, there's nobody that's doing exceptionally well, except for in the you know smaller sample size. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, like a guy that I was actually looking at because I drafted him in fantasy hockey, or maybe picked him up earlier in the season was Mike Hoffman. He's been absolutely shitty <laughs> like such a drop off um and that's hard for a player like him because he's more of a scorer yeah it's it's definitely harder like on a you know a team that's struggling a lot more um to to produce you know but man he uh he used to be so so good at scoring and now it's like you know nine goals in 37 games mm-hmm. um yeah it obviously it's to do with the team i think more than him personally but you know he is also 32 this season so maybe his shots dropping off a bit mm-hmm. um yeah but i mean like i said like pretty much everybody's struggling on that team so you well, can point out a lot of guys yeah like everyone was struggling and it's kind of interesting um you know martin san louis comes in and he kind of we talked about this in the last episode where he's touting his like free-flowing system of not saddling the players down with set plays and too many rules and directions. And when he starts, you know, he gets a few games, they struggled his first few games, and then um, after that, the Habs start playing better. They start playing faster. They have better pace. The offense starts clicking, and, like, Caulfield starts scoring. And but I think they're running a, a line of, like, Caulfield, Suzuki, and Anderson, Josh Anderson. That's a fast and they were line. all doing, yeah, they were all doing really well, and even Petrie started producing again. Like he's putting up points more consistently. So, it's kind of an interesting one. Like I'd be, I want to tune in some more Habs games just to kind of see what that looks like. I haven't watched them that closely, but I want to see what that looks like when if the offensive players have a little bit more freedom to create, and you know, someone like Caulfield who has to adjust his game to kind of really, you know, make a make a fit for himself in the NHL because he can't really fit into a lot of coaches systems being that he can't necessarily physically overpower and physically create his position. He just kind of has to be more agile and find his own position. So if someone like Martin St. Louis comes in 
oddly enough, Martin Saint Louis being like the poster boy of yeah. undersized players going through adversity to becoming like a huge impact player in the NHL. You know, perfect situation right there to have Saint Louis coaching Caulfield. Yeah, good point. Um, yeah, he's got to be in the top six, right? Like he can't can't be yeah. anywhere else. So. Yeah, and um, if San Luis comes in and says, like, hey, I don't really have any specific locations for you to go in. Just look where the ice is open, find your space, and be ready for a pass. You know, simple direction like that where it just lets him find his own area in the ice where it's not going to, you know, where he can use his size to his advantage and squeeze into a smaller area and not take up as much space. And he's not going to get overpowered by, like, some random six foot five defender. <laughs> yeah, it's it's good to see. Um you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of what everyone kind of expected of him considering like at the beginning of the season, it was like, oh, he's a lock for the Calder. Like, um, you know, not the case. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's nice to see. I know like there's a guy in my hockey team who's a Habs fan and he was like, oh, great. Like the Habs have a four game winning streak and then, you know, World War three starts. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> finally we, uh, we get it going and, you know, shit hits the fan, but, uh, you know, something positive for, for Habs fans, at least, uh, out of a, a pretty abysmal season that they at least have, you know, a coaching change and some excitement, a reason to watch games again, perhaps, you know, um, yeah, exactly. make it competitive, see some offense from a team that's been, you know, really, really bad for, for scoring this season. Like yep. they're 30th in the league for goals for and last in the league for goals against. I don't know if you can hear my dog, but uh, <laughs> sure <she's>, can. <laughs> she uh, she's agreeing with my points. Uh, yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, Montreal. It's it's been not a lot of positives. So you know, for for Saint Louis to come in and be like four and three in his first few games is it's pretty cool. I'd like to point out the the best timeline that Martin Saint Louis won his first game against the Saint Louis Blues. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, led, to a, led to a great headline on the NHL.com site. Yeah, it was no no confusion there. Um, something it was something like um, Habs and winless skid comma. It was just written as like St. Louis St. Louis wins, wins first. first. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like, like what <laughs> what <laughs> you have to do a double take to realize what they were trying to write. Yeah, there. was there like a disallowed overtime goal or something <laughs> for St. Louis? Yeah, it's a little little confusing that was though that was probably that was probably done on purpose yeah (laughs) yeah i mean either way you could have just been like st louis wins (laughs) 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 montreal for st louis three or something like that yeah and it would have been accurate yeah um yeah so i don't know i guess uh if you're a betting person probably still don't bet on the montreal to make playoffs but hey if St. Louis could do it, maybe St. Louis can. So, <laughs> <laughs> you are now hired to the Habs marketing team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We just need. Um, oh, I guess they've got um, Edmondson, right? Uh, he's probably on the IR still, but uh, I um, believe so. Wasn't he the guy that like fought somebody at practice? That kind of kickstarted their um, oh, maybe season in St. Louis. Or maybe they maybe they could trade for Bennington now that he's worth nothing and <laughs> turn the season around too. I think it, was, it looks like it was San, Sanford and Bortuzzo fought during practice. Oh, Bortuzzo, yeah, okay. 
that wraps things up for this time here on Clappercast. Make sure you rate and review this episode and toss a follow or subscribe our way. For more content, you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Clappercast Media or on Twitter at Clappercast. Thank you all for tuning in, and we'll be back next week with more Hockey Talk.